Good People. I'm Amanda Shapiro, and welcome back to the show. So it used to be that you heard about a new and up-and-coming chef when they opened their first restaurant. The critics would come, they'd eat, they'd review, and if the chef was lucky, then they would be on the culinary map. But in recent years, I've seen that storyline change. More and more chefs are growing their reputation years before they have their own restaurant, if ever, and they're doing it in a lot of ways. And one way that has really stood out is the pop-up. Pop-ups have leveled the playing field by removing the expense of having a permanent brick-and-mortar restaurant. But as today's guest will also tell us, pop-ups come with their own set of challenges. Our first guest today, Rashida Holmes, was born in New York to Barbadian immigrants. Inspired by her mother, she decided to become a cook, and she moved to L.A. in 2013, where she became the chef de cuisine at a restaurant called Botanica. In 2019, she left Botanica and started the West Indian food pop-up Bridgetown Roti, which has since been reviewed in the LA Times, the New York Times, and mentioned just about everywhere else. Also joining us from LA is Brandon Gray, owner and chef of Brandoni Pepperoni, a, you guessed it, pizza pop-up. Brandon was born and raised in LA and actually started cooking in the Navy before going to cooking school and working in some of LA's best-known restaurants before setting out on his own with his new pop-up. Brandon and Rashida, I'm so excited to welcome you to Food People. Glad to be here. Hello, hello, world. (laughs) Welcome. So you're both speaking to us today from L.A., which I want to hear about whether L.A. really is the particularly great city for pop-ups because there are just tons and tons that are on our radar from out there. But let's get a little bit more personal first. Why did you both decide to go the pop-up route? Rashida, why don't you kick us off? For me, it was a combination of factors, one being that I had an idea of what kind of food I wanted to make, but I didn't have any resources to turn that into a restaurant. It was just an idea. And what was that idea? Well, the idea was that I spent a lot of time working a lot of other people's restaurants, cooking a lot of other cultures' food, and I was finding it to be unfulfilling. So I thought I got to kind of find my own way. And I kind of want to be doing something different culinary wise. So that's when I thought about Bridgetown Roti and how I couldn't really get the kind of Caribbean food that I grew up eating anywhere in Los Angeles. Yeah. I realized that there was a gap in the market and it was something that was super personal to me. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. How about you, Brandon? I actually started my business from a joke. In January of 2020, I was actually thinking about getting out of the restaurant industry as a whole. I think I was just tired of the long, dredgerous work hours, low pay, and just not getting the respect that I think I had deserved. And a chef colleague of mine had asked me if I wanted to help facilitate his pop-up. Yeah. And I didn't have anything really going on at the time. I was doing some catering gigs, but nothing that was really sticking. I ran his kitchen for about a week and a half. And I think having worked in the culinary industry for about 17 years at that point, I thought that I can do it. And why not better during the pandemic to, you know, try? I took Brandoni Pepperoni as a concept that was ultimately supposed to change every single month. And joke's on me because I've been doing pizza for the last year and a half. Were you going to change the name from Brandoni Pepperoni to something else every month? That was definitely a thought. (laughs) Dope. Because you can't have Brandoni Pepperoni 
and rice bowls at the same time. <laughs> I really want to hear about how you two produce all this food that you make when you don't have a brick and mortar. Are you using commercial space or working with some other type of limited space? Yeah, I think my prep situation is a little bit different. You know, I have about 950 square feet and I'd say maybe 400, 500 square feet is predominantly the living room slash kitchen slash dining room area. So the dining room area, there's like a fridge. I have a low boy. I have a dough machine. Like <laughs> <laughs> The live work space, though, that sounds... That sounds real. It's intense. I have every kitchen gadget that a fine dining restaurant has. There's sous vide machines. There's a smoker. Like, I actually have a smoker inside of this apartment. Are you kidding me? <laughs> nah, I wish I was. I got one in my house. I got one in my backyard. I get you, man. I mean, backyard, yeah. I hope that thing vents out, Brandon. I, yeah, for real, though. I, I got I to gotta figure it out. I got to figure it out. Rashida, your wife would never go for a <laughs> No, 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 no. No, 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 no. I mean, I still store, like, I bring home goat to smoke in the smoker in the back. I store stuff in our shed that she's not really that happy about that either. But, you know, you got to make it work when you're working in limited space. We're not talking live goat. We're talking the the, <laughs> the meat, the meat. The There's meat. a goat <laughs> in the bathroom. I keep my little goat family. <laughs> I thought I heard something. Fun. Let's switch gears again. I want to hear more about your thoughts on the pop-up route to go. To me, it seems like a lower barrier to entry. Do you see it as a viable path for people who may not be able to run restaurants otherwise? I think perfect timing is the best thing that I could possibly say what happened during the pandemic. And it sucks that something so devastating to the world had to happen in order for the business to succeed. But you just had to take it with a grain of salt. And I think once the George Floyd situation sort of happened. There were a lot of publications sort of reaching out and publicizing Black-owned businesses. And I'll speak for myself. I didn't know how to feel about it, to be honest. It was like, where was this support before? Yeah. And I think I was a little down and out, to be completely honest, because I was like, are people only supporting this business because... It was a Black-owned business, and they felt that that was their time to support. Yeah. It's a double-edged sword, I think. Yeah, wondering whether it's about performative support or whether it's really a endorsement of your food and what you're doing. Right. I don't know what a pop-up looks like longevity-wise, because I think at a certain point, Rashida's going to outgrow her space. I'm going to outgrow my apartment for selling pizzas is the next route, an actual brick and mortar. And then I think the biggest scare that I have is, was my business only beneficial for the pandemic? Mm. Are people going to still want to have fine dining pizza six months from now? So there's a lot of things that like I'm recalibrating and thinking, is this a long-term thing? So there's a ton of emotions for me, I think. That kind of relates back to what we were saying at the top about Los Angeles, which, in my opinion, if there's any big city where people like to eat nice food at home instead of go out, it's probably L.A., right? Like, people love to be in their homes. They constantly want something new, and they want to see you reinvent again and again. 
I mean, I think that Brandon and I are kind of in the same boat where we've reached a point in which deciding what the next vision is, is kind of what needs to happen sooner rather than later, because I'm getting calls from people who are like, I, we, we have this, are you interested? We have this, are you interested? And having been in the restaurant industry for a long time, I don't want to go back to a place where I'm beating up my body and working long hours and I do it now, but it's on my own terms. Yeah, that makes all the difference, huh? So finding what the next step is, and I'm lucky I have a lot of people around me who support me businessly and professionally that they're giving me a lot of grace to figure that out. But at the same time, time is of the essence. (laughs) Pop-ups are valuable for people like Brandon and myself. It gave us an opportunity to find ourselves on this podcast in the first place, you know, 18 months later, here we are talking about what we've been through. But at the same time, it is limiting, you know, growth happens. That's, that's the nature of business. And it's about figuring out how you want that growth to look. That's challenging. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we will jump back into our conversation with Rashida and Brandon to talk about two iconic dishes from their menus and the advice you need to hear if you're thinking about starting your own pop-up. Okay, let's get into some of the food that both of you are cooking in your small apartments and in your commissary kitchens. Rashida, let's start with you. Tell us a bit more about the origins of your menu. So it kind of comes from both sides of my family. My mom was born in Barbados. She came over here when she was in her eighth or ninth grade, like 14, 15, to live with my grandparents who were already here. On my grandfather's side, he was born in Panama. And then all that family is in Barbados and Trinidad as well. I remember when I was 10 years old, we went to visit Barbados with my uncle on my dad's side. But growing up, both my parents are, they're New Yorkers, really true and true. We moved from New York when I was a young age, but we always visited New York. And for me, that was really where I got outside of the home, you know, Caribbean food influence, going to places like Golden Crust and getting beef patties every time I was in New York and going to this roti shop on Flatbush and getting rotis there. Yep. And then over the holidays, my mom would always pull out her Caribbean favorites, Christmas dinners and New Year's Eve was all peas and rice and curry chicken and oxtails. All those foods kind of meant home when I didn't really have a home city. My home city was the food that we ate. Mm. And that's kind of the basis of what Bridgetown is. Is there a dish that you would say is representative of the menu at Bridgetown Roadie or that has become sort of an iconic dish there? Yeah, I would say the oxtail patty is probably the thing that people come back for the most. One of my dad's go-to, you know, dad dinners was stewed mm. oxtails. So good. That he learned from his odd fi. I eat it all the time. I haven't gotten sick of it yet, so that's how I know it's still good. So how does it come together? You braise the oxtail. Tell me how the dish gets made. Sure. We make all our curry powders in-house. So this is a fenugreek-based curry powder that we season the oxtails with, with salt overnight. We then deep fry them to sear them instead of searing in a pan. Wow. So how did you come up with the idea of deep frying oxtails? I was watching, um, there's this really great Chinese Jamaican chef in Toronto whose name is escaping me right now. I know what you're talking about. You're talking about Craig Wong? Yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> I was watching a special on him and he was talking about his oxtails and he, he deep fried him and I was like, genius. What does your family think of that non-traditional method? They don't need to know everything. <laughs> Something tells me they're going to find out now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then we braised them in a curry paste, chicken stock, and Blue Mountain molasses, which is like a wow. brown sugar. That's a key ingredient. If you don't have that, you don't get the like sticky oxtail texture on there. And then we reduce the braising liquid and pour that in and then use the panko to kind of soak it up so it stays nice and juicy. Mm, sounds so good. This sounds like something best eaten hot and fresh and right away. Absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Ship him. I guess you can't really ship him out here, but maybe someday. <laughs> deep freeze. And- we were working on it. I think it's definitely one of our future plans is to be able to wow. ship some frozen patties, like nice, high quality stuff. I live around the corner from a golden crust, but I will be first on your wait list for that, for that too. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Okay, Brandon, I want to talk to you about some of the dishes on your menu. Obviously, it's a pizza menu. How do you come up with them? Do they just spring into your head? What inspires you? What inspires me is the Santa Monica Farmer's Market. I think the fact that California has an abundance of produce year-round makes a business like mine just a little bit easier just because I like to think to myself that I don't do the hard work. I think the farmers do the hard work by growing everything, and I just pay respect to them by caressing their ingredients. It's very intimate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a trend that has now swept a lot of restaurants of naming the farms where your ingredients come from. And I know some people roll their eyes at that, but I think it's more rare to see that on a pizza place's menu. And so I really appreciate that, that you really do seem to give credit to all of the farms that you source your ingredients from. I mean, honestly, without them, Brandoni's is potentially just like another pizza place. Yeah. What's a pizza on the menu right now that you're really excited about? There is one called Function. So I spent a little bit of time in Jaiman, China, and they have a big Uyghur culinary scene out there. And if you're not familiar with uh, Uyghur food, it's halals and Chinese food. So they use a lot of lamb and spices and stuff like that. So... I did my ode to my time spent in China with making like a chili crisp using lamb that I get from a purveyor here in Los Angeles. When I say Brandoni's is California cuisine, it, it truly is. Like the flowers from California, the ingredients are from California. I love a pizza called Californication. It's essentially my time spent in Oaxaca where it's barbacoa on a pizza canvas. Steamed lamb shoulder. Mm-hmm. Chickpeas, flouring cilantro. I make like a salsa barracha from the cooking liquid that the juices that come out from the lamb. Mm. Yeah. You've described your dough as sort of a cross between Neapolitan style and a Pizza Hut style, which I love. What does that mean exactly? Traditionally, Neapolitan pizza, you'll get a very fluffy, pillowy, Cornichon, which is the little crust, when you press down on it, it'll have just a little small texture, but then it's just like a, a pillow. So I wanted to mash that up with Pizza Hut. Who doesn't love Pizza Hut? You know, I grew up on Pizza Hut. Yeah, I love that oil slick on the bottom of the crust that you always get on the Pizza Hut pizza. Oh, mm. yes. So good. That's love language right there. That's my love language. I can't relate, but I feel <laughs> <laughs> So it sounds like both of you are actually making food that you 
want to eat yourself and that you want to share with the world, which is kind of the dream. But that kind of creative freedom is so hard to find in the traditional restaurant industry. Has running a pop-up really satisfied you and allowed you to experiment in the ways that you wanted to? Yes, absolutely. You know, when you hold the reins of power as you do in your own business, all the creativity kind of falls on you, which is awesome and also a burden at the same time. It's both. What do you mean? How is it a burden? Because I have a small team. I have a business partner. I have three ladies in the kitchen that help me out. So they all look to you for the creative vision, which I'm perfectly happy to do. But sometimes there's just some weeks where I'm like, I don't have any, I, I got nothing. Like <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you just got nothing. And then sometimes it just flows. Like last week I had nothing. This week I can't stop writing. So writing menus? Menus, working on my vision for what I want the business to be in the future. All these things are kind of flowing this week for me. So that's awesome. Where last week I think I cried in the kitchen. So, you know, it's it's both. You have to understand that there are ups and downs to both of it. But I much prefer being in charge of my own destiny in this way than kind of helping other people fulfill their visions, which there is value in that, but there's definitely a lot more value in fulfilling your own. That must be such an emotional roller coaster, kind of going through the ups and downs of that and the risk of the business sort of being fully on your shoulders as opposed to working for someone else where if you have a bad week or a bad day, you can kind of just like go home and be done with work. Mm -hmm. I would say <laughs> I have my mom as my financial advisor. And so she's always looking at the books. I know, Brandon, your mom is also a big part of what you guys do. It's nice because she helps me not stare at it every day, but I stare at it every day anyway. I can't help it. Each week is a different thing. And because our business is so unstructured and unpredictable, mm -hmm. it's also the joys of being an entrepreneur. How about you, Brandon? What's been the biggest difference for you going from traditional restaurants to running a pop-up? It's a little bit harder on me because it's just a one-man operation. So Wednesdays, my mother come to the farmer's market with me to help pick herbs. Y'all have great like moms. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Shout out to the moms. Yeah. Besides those few hours that she helps me with, it's essentially me doing everything. So, you know, I remember eating at a restaurant in Japan and there was only one chef. He pretty much did everything. And I was like, that'd be a cool concept if there was just one person that essentially just runs an entire business. So I think it's great that I have the creative freedom that I do to put whatever I want on the menu. I started something very recently where I'll do test kitchen Thursdays. Whatever's available at the farmer's market, I'll just sort of pick and choose. And those may not be pizzas that land on the concrete menu, but it's at least keeping me stimulated culinary-wise. Yeah, it sounds like having to play every part in the kitchen is a real flip side of the pop-up life, but tons of added responsibility and obligation, it sounds like. I think for me, with it being just a one-person entity, I think I burned myself out. And I don't want that to be the trajectory for me. You know, I've mm. been in the hospitality industry for 18 years, and I've worked so hard to get to this moment that I had to essentially say yes to any and everything because I didn't want this opportunity to slip away from mm -hmm. me. And I think mm. by doing that, 
I let a lot mm-hmm. of things fall to the wayside, relationships, friendships, and just like my own personal sanity. <laughs> I mean, Rashida, what advice do you have for Brandon? Get help. Mm. Hire help. Commitment. Ooh. Get a partner. Commit to someone. Yeah. I mean, if I hadn't done that in the beginning, in June, right when I first started getting press and had someone kind of take over the marketing for me, I wouldn't be anywhere where I am now, like at all. I'm honestly amazed that you've been doing this by yourself. This business is a team sport. It really is a team sport. It's one of the things I love about it. I just want to kind of build off of that. Besides Brandon, who we all agree needs an assistant at the very least. (laughs) At least. What other advice or words of wisdom do you have for other people who might want to get into pop-ups? A couple of things. The thing I say the most is don't measure your success by anyone else. So much of... My success had to do with timing. The other thing I would say is create a clear brand. That was something that I got advised on very early on about figuring out what the brand was, figuring out what a mission statement was, being very clear about what story you want to tell to people with your concept. Because pop-ups are all about the story, right? If you can't have people sit down in your restaurant, you kind of have to like tell it via social media, then you got to know what you want to say. So have a clear vision and a story to tell. And if it's personal and it resonates, then you'll do well. And if the food's good. Yeah. Check in with your friends. Make sure your food's good because... The people who will tell it to you straight. Yeah. My parents were my first critics and they were like, I don't know about this. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. So... (laughs) Will they tell you that now? God will they. Um, (laughs) My mom's always like, "Mm, the curry chicken didn't taste quite right this week. Wait, you don't have recipes? Oh, I have recipes, bro. Uh, (laughs) It's just my mom. (laughs) I know you're really in the thick of it right now, but do you have anything that you'd tell anyone who's aspiring to do what you're doing? Practice your craft before opening. Like, I think what a lot of restaurants don't do before they even open up, which is insane to me is blowing i know exactly what you're gonna say food costs recipes if you are not doing just those two simple things then just stop right now shut the business down write everything down have some excel (laughs) sheets writing recipes without those any and every business will fail yep and patience i've been at this for 18 years and finally now have a platform to have conversations with people. And it's not going to happen overnight. I wish it would, but it's just not. I think dedication to your craft is probably another thing. It's interesting. Like, Jiro Dreams of Sushi was one of my favorite movies. The best. Within the first so incredible. five minutes of the movie, he's essentially saying, like, you have to dedicate yourself to your craft. And I totally believe in 10,000 hours. If you don't put in the time, how are you going to expect someone else to enjoy your product? Yeah. The dedication to the craft part must be so hard because you've done this for 18 years and then your pop-up gets tons of press and people think of you as a hot new chef. And you're like, I'm literally on my second decade here. But nobody really gets that when you finally hit gold on your own thing. So true. So true. Rashida, do you feel similarly about that? Like this is sort of when you're getting your due? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been 13 years now and yeah, it's weird to be called a new chef when you've been doing it for so long already, but I'll take it. If you want to give me new chef awards, I'll take new chef awards. Don't matter to me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
You are both such wonderful, thoughtful, insightful, and talented guests, and I'm so grateful that we got to talk today. You're both going to do so well with whatever you end up doing. I know it's a lot of uncertainty, but I'm excited to see what comes next. Me too. (laughs) The saddest part of this is I haven't had Brandon's pizza yet. Yeah, and you live in LA. There's no excuse. It's messed up. It's messed up. What's crazy is I just saw Rashida last week at the commissary kitchen, and you did not offer me any food oh, at all. I, I was in the middle of taking putting the catering out. I was in the weeds. I was Brandon, like, you should have just snuck in there <laughs> and nabbed an oxtail patty. I mean, you could have. We'll coordinate this. Thank you to our guests, Rashida Holmes and Brandon Gray, for giving us a real peek into their pop-ups. If you're in LA, make sure to order, and we'll put a link to their websites in our show notes. While you're there, give their businesses a follow as well on Instagram to see the next steps of their pop-up journey. Brandoni Pepperoni is at LA underscore Brandoni underscore Pepperoni, and Rashida's Bridgetown Roadie is simply Bridgetown Roadie. If you love the show, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps keep us food people employed. And you can follow Bon Appetit on Instagram at Bon Appetit Mag and on Twitter at Bon Appetit. Food People is produced by Bon Appetit in partnership with Pod People. Vishnu Vallabhaneni is our senior producer. Ginny Bloom is our showrunner. Madison Lusby is our production manager. And Morgan Foose and Jessica Jones are our associate producers. This episode was engineered by Trey Booty, and the music is by DJ Newmark. June Kim and I provide editorial direction for the series. Special thanks to Matt Sav, Nico Steele, and Julie Shen. I'm your host, Amanda Shapiro, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.